Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking to sprint coach and senior advisor at the High Performance Centre in Vakwa, Sweden, Hakan Andersson. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So today on the podcast is Hakan Anderson. So Hakan came to my attention via his conversations on social media with a number of sprint coaches around the athletes that he works with, the high-level athletes that he works with in Sweden, both sprinters and team sport athletes. So Hakan put some great content online and it's actually with athletes that he works with uh, and that's not to... Um, put a slant on any content that gets shared on social media but it is actually with high level athletes and they are the ones that work with Hakan which is um, which is a massive positive so we got chatting and it was a no-brainer to get Hakan on the uh, on the podcast today so we chat about uh, plyometric plyometrics jump training and their progressions regressions where they fit into the overall periodized plan and that's for team sport athletes and sprinters we discuss resisted sprint training, which a lot of Hakan's uh, videos are around, and how he uses technology to uh, to enhance that for his athletes. Then we discuss different testing that he does with his sprint athletes and how that's evolved over time. So a really interesting chat with Hakan. Been really looking forward to get him getting him on over the last couple of weeks. Hope everyone had a great Christmas. This is obviously going out on Boxing Day, but been recorded. Christmas, so hopefully I did as well. Um, so hopefully you had a great Christmas and you enjoy this episode. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Hawking Dynamics, the world's first wireless force plate testing system. So the Hawking Dynamics system is built around what coaches want so they can test in the real world and not just in the lab. So you're able to capture reliable data on all athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor progress from their cloud-based system from anywhere in the world. So as I've mentioned, the Hawking Dynamics force plates are wireless, which means they're portable, and they're also trusted by teams at a number of different levels in a number of different sports. So integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring system uh, could not be easier and more affordable. So if you want to get to know a little bit more about Hawking Dynamics or actually see their plates in action, Head over to the website, uh, which is hawkingdynamics.com, um, which you can do, and you can also schedule a demo, and follow them on Twitter at hawkingdynamics. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by iMeasureU. So used by leading sports practitioners and biomechanics researchers worldwide to capture and compare multi-limb inertial data in the field, IMU Step from iMeasureU is a dual sensor and app lower limb load monitoring tool which helps practitioners optimize return to play for running based sports. So iMeasureU have just released their new and improved waterproof sensor Blue Trident, which includes ultra-high G capabilities to quantify high-impact steps such as cutting, landing and sprinting, longer battery life to collect data all day, real-time feedback to aid immediate interventions and faster workflow so practitioners can review long training sessions within minutes of training completion. I Measure You, now part of Vicon, works with military, pro and collegiate coaches and athletes from around the world, including the Australian Institute of Sport, US Department of Defense and collegiate and pro teams from around the world. If you want to get to know more about I Measure You, 
head over to the website imeasureyou.com or follow them on Twitter or Instagram at imeasureyou. So without further ado, over to the episode with Hakan Anderson. Thanks for tuning in to the Pace Performance Podcast. So this morning, I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Hakan Anderson, who is sprint coach and consultant. So welcome to the podcast, Hakan. Hi, thank you. Good morning, Rob. Thank you for coming on, mate. You've been on my long, long list for a long time to pester to try to get you on the podcast. So thank you very much for uh, agreeing to come on. But anyone that doesn't know who you are, do you just want to give us a bit of a background on yourself, education-wise, and what you're currently doing over in, in Sweden? Okay. Well, first of all, thanks for, uh, for the opportunity. I, like, I've been listening to you since 2015, mainly when I'm exercising. And since I don't do high-intensity work anymore, you know, it, it's, it's, it's perfect to listen to a podcast when you're out cycling or jogging or whatever. So... Thanks for the opportunity. Uh, well, I, I live in Sundsvall. It's another part of Sweden. Um, uh, my, in most occasions, you know, people call me, I'm the dinosaur in the room. You know, I'm 61 years old. Uh, I have 45 years in athletics. I'm married to a Canadian wife that, uh, you know, some days she, you know, think I'm really boring. You know, say, so you, you're such a boring person. You've got one track mind, she says. And I said, darling, that's wrong. You know, I have at least two interests. I like both 100 and 200 meters, so. <laughs> so I'm a key. I'm, a, I'm, you know, I'm very passionate when it comes to athletics and sprinting in particular. No, I have two beautiful kids. I have a grandchild now, and I've been a coach uh, since uh, mid '80s, almost 35 years now. And I, uh, I served as national sprint coach in and out for the last last 30 years, and I consulted, uh, you know, elite sprinters in Sweden and. And I've been involved in many other sports as well, you know, in the, like swimming, boxing, speed skating, football, ice hockey, basketball. So, uh, you know, athletics and, and sports overall has been a big part of my life. But my, my, my training back, I'm a train engineer, you know, but I really never worked as such. I, I re- retired in 2018 after 36 years in the fire brigade, you know, and Thanks to a very understanding employer, I have been able to combine, you know, that work with with the elite sport, and and I had a pretty good career in the fire brigade as well, you know. So I've been very fortunate. Uh, what more can I say? When it comes to my, you know, at, at you know in the in the eighties, I took um, more or less all the the coaching courses that uh, was available, uh, uh, but uh, I think. Uh, other, you know, meeting other people has been been the most important part of my career, and I've been very fortunate, you know, to 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 you know have some great coaches when I started. And I started with a was a dentist. I was very passionate about sprinting. You know, his name was Rolf Lanto, and he really, you know, he was a great coach and he was a great motivator. And I, I, I there was a good start. And uh, so. Her- who 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 influences you now, Hakan? Well, uh, you know, I have some some uh, some uh, long time friends. You know, you know, Benke Blomqvist is um, having a great career in Great Britain at the moment with the with the British sprinters and Petri Hughes, the Finnish coach, and uh, you know, Leif Ola Alnes is a coach of Karsten Warholm. You know, we have we have been like a you know quartet of, of coaches that had great connection for the last thirty years. So they they meant a lot. You know. But on the, on the international scene, you know, uh, you know, Henk Reinhoff, uh, you know, Dutch uh, coach, we have had a lot of, of, of 
of uh, great exchanges and uh, being married to a Canadian, of course, you know, Charlie Francis, you know, influenced me like all, all other coaches on, on my career, you know, and uh, in the latter years and also, you know, Roberto Bonomi, Italian co- coach. Uh, so it's been quite a few. Excellent. So what your traditional education was engineering. Was it mechanical engineering? Was it electrical? I started to work in a, in a power in a power plant, you know. And a, so, but uh, when I was an athlete, it was not a good combination with sports, you know. So I, I put that on a halt. Yes. For firemen, you know. So, uh, you know, I, I got the job and I retired in 2018, like I said, after 36 years. But I, I'm a trained engineer, but I never worked as such one. Okay, excellent. So one thing that I wanted to chat about to you, and this is based off some of your really interesting videos that you've put online, and also the commentary around why you're doing what you're doing with your with your sprint guys. I just want to touch on and pretty take it back maybe 30 years for you and how that's progressed over over time with where you'd actually start jump training and player metrics with young sprinters. Well, you know, there was one person that's been very influential to me. It was it was actually a local doctor in in in, in Sundsvall, you know, Peter Pitkin, and and he really opened my eyes for sports science. And he introduced me to some great scientists. And like the the first real scientist I, I met in flesh was Carmelo Bosco, you know, uh, Carmelo Bosco. Everyone that heard about you know counter movement jump, the rebound jump, and squat jump, you know, you should understand he's the he's the the, the the father of that together we you know with the power com and the scientists are were doing a lot of pioneering work when it came to stretch shortening cycle in finland in the mid 80s you know so i think uh, he was a, he was a nine we not we did the, you know plyometrics before jumping you know you know sprinters have been doing you know jump training you know for for 100 years i'm i'm sure you know but i think uh, there was, you know, the Russians and you know, also the Finns, you know, that took it to, an, to another level, you know, with a more scientific base, more planned kind of, of, of organized scheme when it come to, to jumping. So uh, Bosco was important for me, you know, in that sense. So when it comes to the programming of, of, of jump training for for young sprinters or, and, then, and then progressing through the um, – through the ages, where would you where would you start with them guys, and how would you progress that through for the for the athletes that you work with over there? Well, I think you know when it comes to a plyometric, if you, if you talk about you know plyometric, what, what do we mean? We probably mean jumping, you know, but but there are probably throwers that has objections to that, you know, that uh, but it's probably some kind of ballistic movement, you know, and it it's a it's a wide spectrum, you know, but. Uh, I think you know jumping is great for to develop general and specific coordination. You know? So and it has a definite room, you know, for 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 everyone, you know. And, and the earlier you start, the better it is, you know. Like everything that has to do with coordination is easier to learn when you when you start at an early age. And if, if you have to look at a playground, at least in the, <laughs> it used to be like that. You always see kids, kids can't walk, you know, they, they skip and they jump and they, they run around, you know, so plyometrics, plyometric activity jumping seems to be a, like a, a nat- natural thing to do growing up, you know. And um, so I think the, the earlier you start, the better. So in a, in a more structured training environment, what would that look like for them younger sprinters to introduce them to, to jump training and then 
further on player metrics? Well, well, I think you you have to start with you know the, building some kind of resilience. You know, you can't uh, like I say, you can't start uh, you know jump training intensive jump training when you're 30 years old and weigh, weigh 90 kilos. You you have to start when you when you're young and and, and light and you you learn coordination very very easily. You know, but like yes, rope skipping, you know, coordination jumps, you know, like hopscotch kids are doing. You know, you should start in that in that area and. And before puberty is a, is a is a perfect activity, you know, for 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 many reasons. And uh, you know, you know, jump training, it it can be very intense. You know, you know that uh, you know the the muscular tension, the level of of, of neural excitement is is very high, and uh, it's uh, you know that the forces are very high. If we, they talk about the, the more in, in, intensive intensive uh, activities so you have to be you have to be careful you know it's uh, it can be easily be overdone you know and so it has to be administrated and with individualized progression and loads of course mm-hmm. so is that how is that something that you moderate so is it just ground contacts that you would track and and mod- modify accordingly Ground contacts only say so much, you know. And uh, you know, is is the also the height you're you're jumping from, or how, how much you attack the ground, you know. Uh, you know, we are operating with with very high forces, you know. You know, it is very easy to 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 produce ground reaction forces over you know more than ten g, fifteen g's, you know, when when if you attack the ground and if you land from 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 high. Uh, so it's 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 very it can be very very demanding. So you can't start in in that in that way, you know. So uh, it's very high forces, and um, you have to be you have to be careful. So is there is there a, a way that you're objectively measuring how much volume and intensity your athletes do in terms of plyometrics? Well, you know, you can't talk about numbers, and you can't uh, you can't only talk about intensity. You you, you have to you you have to you have to. It's it's no perfect scheme. I think you have to use your gut feeling as well. You know, it, it's very important. See how people are moving, how they're responding. Uh, constant communication, like like all training, you know. That, uh, uh, so I, I, you can't say you're supposed to do a certain amount of contacts uh, in one session, or in a week, and in a month. You know, it it only says so much when when it comes to to the to the load. Mm-hmm. Cool. So that probably leads nicely into how you would program and deliver plyometrics and jump training to sprinters versus team sport athletes. What other considerations do coaches need to take when working with team sport athletes when it comes to jump training and plyometrics well it's like Hank Kreienhoff he's, he's the master of one-liners you know he says I'm trying to make this for cats not for cows you know <laughs> all, all, all depends what athlete you have you know like if you if you take sprinters, you know you you see a wide range of different body types. You know you have the greyhounds, like the very light frame, the elastic type type. They they often respond well to jump training, and they they respond many times pretty negative to to weight gains and heavy resistance training. But then you have the you know the more muscular type. They're usually more stiff, maybe less elastic. They usually respond better to heavy resistance, but since because of the body frame, you have to be more careful, you know. Uh, 
and that is that is in a in a sprint situation. But of course, it's the same when in a team team setting. You have different kind of players. You can't. You have to treat them as individuals. You know, like um, it can be very very easy easy overdone. You end up with injury because of the intensity that uh, that can occur in 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 some of the exercises. But I think that everyone can benefit from some kind of plyometrics. But you also have to take in, in consideration that is is as a diminishing return. If you talk about weight training, you know that uh, people respond to heavy heavy resistance training when it transfers to speed fairly well. But it's usually a diminishing return. You know, you you have a good transfer, you know, to a certain extent. But those last 10, 20, 30 percent of of exact strength doesn't really transfer. And it's the same with with plyometrics. You know that. I mean, if plyometrics was the only solution, you know, jumpers would be the best sprinters, you know, but they are not. So it's a diminishing return there too, you know. If if, you know, if you if you can jump uh, sixty meter in standing five jumps and you're running ten twenty, that does it mean you're going to jump, uh, you know, run uh, you know ten series because you, you jump seventeen meters? And not necessary, you know. So you you have to. You have to understand that too. That people are different, and there's no universal remedy. You know that, um, but I think everyone can benefit in one sense. You know, but I've, I've been working with like with ice hockey players, and you have to respect that they they almost have their have their ankle in a, in a cast for eight months of the year. They don't use their ankle. You know, they they because of the skate skating boot. You know, it's more or less fixed. So if you get an ice hockey player that has been, you know, the season is over in the end, end of May, beginning of June, and you, then you're going to start uh, training him and you start, you know, hurdle jumps with him, you're going to run into trouble in the next couple of weeks. We have to be very careful, you know. Uh, you can, you can, he can jump, but he can't land because uh, it, it's such a stress on, on the system, especially if you're on the heavy side. So I'd like to dive into them body body type differences, and like you mentioned, the greyhound who may <clears throat> uh, who may react certain uh, differently to the to the bigger guys in terms of strength training, and then in contrast, uh, plyometrics and jump training for those body types that you may perceive them to to, to not react massively positively to jump lots of jump training and plyometrics. How would you moderate that, and how what would you put in the program that is still beneficial to them at a lower end, but not progressing them through the whole spectrum like you would someone who is very um, adaptable to to jump training and plyometrics? First of all, I mean you have to have some objective way of. of uh you know, judging what kind of attitude you have, you know. And then like an experienced track coach, and he can see who is elastic or and who is not, you know. But you can also use, you can test people, you know. Like, and, you know, I think it came from from Australia like 20 years ago. They started to talk about the reactive strength index, you know. It's the, it's the relationship between the jumping height and the ground contact or the fly time and the ground contact. Uh, if people that uh, can display a high RSI, you know, they usually the elastic type. You know? And if you are the elastic type, you can jump high in in short period of time. You 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 most of the time you are a person going to respond well to that, you know. So 
you can you can use objective objective means or you can use subjective means but i think to be subjective i think you have to have you have to have a lot of experience so would you put all your athletes through an initial rsi to see where they are on that on that spectrum well i you know i used to be i used to test a lot more you know and you know we used to do a lot of, of you know counter movement jumps and drop jumps and so whatever but nowadays i see it more like a like we measure a lot in training you know uh, you have to get you know, see how they're responding you know and uh, so I, but I, you know in terms of or, or, or sprinting ability you know we used to put a lot of emphasis into a counter movement jump to try to jump as high as possible you know the very you could see a transfer from weightlifting to jumping you know but many times you saw no transfer to sprinting but when it comes to reactive strength index, I think it's a better better test actually. People that uh, at least the light frame, the, the elastic guys, they, when they when they have they score high in the RSI, they're usually in pretty good condition, good shape to run fast times. I'm trying to put a number on it, like I am with everything. But what what would be what would fit that bill in terms of a in terms of a score for RSI to make you think this guy's elastic? Well, I think there are, there are different means of, of calculating RSI. If I if I recall correct, you know, it's, it's three at least three methods I've seen. It's the flight time divided with a with a ground contact time, or the jump height divided with a ground with the jump contact time. There is also I've seen some in some literature described as a jump type divided with the time to take off. You know, but if you talk about but you know the relationship between between uh, time flight and time contact. Yeah, I have, I, we have, we have guys that score almost four. I mean, if you talk about the relationship between jumping height and contact time, you you're on, you're around three hundred and fifty. But it's also interesting because it it you can also talk about power, like Bosco was talking about thirty years ago. This is a relationship between the power output and the RSI. So when they have high RSI, they have a high power output per kilo kilo body weight, and you see numbers of, of uh, exceeding eighty, you know, eighty watt per kilo, you know, when 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 they are in 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 good good sprinting shape. Mm-hmm. So there was a a trend about a year ago maybe 18 months ago two years ago of being quite hung up on uh, force vectors and the inclusion of horizontal jumping vertical jumping the transfer that has different phases of the of the sprint what's your view around that and how do you incorporate both horizontal jumping and vertical emphasis jumping in your program well like both vertical and horizontal plays is important in in sprinting, and I don't really understand the debate. You know, there seems to be a vertical camp and a horizontal camp. You know, they they're they're so connected. You know, and uh, you know people are, are so obsessed about talking about contact times, but they forget sometimes about contact length. You know, we have to produce. We have to move the center of gravity on stance phase in a, in a certain a certain time. You know, and. Uh, and the contact time is actually also the outcome of running velocity and velocity at, at off, you know when it's it's outcome of the magnitude of force impulse and the direction of the applied force so they're connected so try to mimic the contact times and if you say that a top sprinter has a contact time in between 80 to 90 milliseconds uh 
but that is he's moving his his uh, his uh, you know his body mass uh, his center of gravity horizontally and if you if you try to mimic that by you know uh, addressing that when you're jumping vertically this is a totally different thing you know and uh, you know like the flight phrase in sprinting is not more than 5 or 3 centimeters you know and uh, you you attack the ground so you can still achieve fairly high ground reaction forces vertically you, know, you you see numbers from from labs you know up to 5 times the body weight but you 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 also moving center of gravity horizontally you know so both uh, vertical and horizontal uh, you know forces uh, play a big role and and in the initial acceleration when when the, the body has an, an incline uh, of course you can you can produce a lot of horizontal force and uh, you can use the again even the knee extensors extensor you know you you know you, you know you use all joints you know but uh, in a vertical position of course the in a upright position, of course, the vertical component is getting getting higher and, and more and more significant. But if we want to keep on accelerating, we got to make sure that the, the propulsive forces in a horizontal way is exceeding the braking. Yes, if we don't have any acceleration, at least according to Newton. So, uh, and jumping, you know. Uh, of course, we can train both sides of that. You know, we, we can jump vertically. You know, almost anyone can ju- jump vertically. You know, and especially doing it with, with double legs. You know, but uh, unilaterally, you know, like bounding, jumping horizontally is is more tricky, and uh, it's um, and the, the forces are high, higher, you know, high because of, of of the speed. You know, so I think jump training should be a combination of both. You know, but uh, you know, like vertical jumping is more to develop stiffness, maybe, and uh, you know, horizontal, you know, jumping is also hip extension. You know, it's not only absorbing and uh, absorbing force on the ground, uh, producing force on the ground uh, vertical. It's also horizontally. So it has to be a combination of both. I think. So if you're working with a team sport athlete, for instance, a rugby or soccer player. Obviously, a heavy, a heavier emphasis on acceleration. Would that lead you to move more towards the horizontal jump training, or, or not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, th- I think you know. I, I think uh, I, I would. I would. And uh, and uh, but it all depends on the experience of the athlete. If you start as a strength and conditioning coach, uh, you know. In a rugby club, and you have some heavy guys, you know, older guys that has never done done any kind of plyometrics. I, I mm-hmm. would avoid it, like the I would, yeah, I would be very careful at least. Maybe I could jump upstairs and things like that, you know. But you have to you have to respect the landing, you know, the, the impact forces that that it can create, you know, especially if you're jumping on harder surfaces, on grass. Turf, maybe a little less, but you have, still have to be careful if people are heavier. So with the, that's interesting because so with them heavier guys, would you avoid it completely, or would you start super low down that intensity spectrum? And if so, what does that actually look like? I know you mentioned stairs there and, and different surfaces, but is there anything other considerations that people should take with them heavier guys? I mean, you know, you have to take in consideration the, the jumping height too. Like if you if you're going to jump down those stairs, you know, maybe you can, you know, 
you, you have to you have to keep it keep it fairly low because uh, because of the body mass and their re- relative strength is they're co- probably going to produce a lot of force and it's uh, but uh, you know it's usually not the muscle is a problem it's the tendon so so and and again in that sort of environment like a, a rugby or a or a football and you you are concentrating on that horizontal force production where would you where would you i know again it depends on the athlete depends on the coach but if you were starting off with um athletes that had not done a lot of plyometrics before how would you progress them where would you start what kind of exercises and prescription would you be looking at and how would you move that move the needle on that i, I would like i would like i would start them as the kids okay, I would start with with a low impact. I would start skipping rope. I would do things like that and see how they respond. You know, and uh, you know, I think I think I would, I would progress it very, 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 very slowly. You know, and uh, and and you know, and uh, not put put, uh, you know, put make a program for everyone. You have they have to see how everyone is responding. You know, and if they're coordinated a lot. Not you know they. I've seen sprinters that start applying metrics when they're way over twenty. That are very coordinated. They could they could learn it and they could benefit from it. You know, uh, I, I've seen you know Linford Christie the jumping fairly impressive. You know, it, it, it wasn't serious with his athletics uh, until he was way over twenty years old. You know, but he, he was still a good jumper even though he he probably weighed between eighty five and ninety kilos. You know, so it can be done, but it's it's all depends. So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Hakan. Hope you're enjoying part one. So over in part two, we discuss assisted and resisted sprinting and the potential effect that can have on technique or not in in some cases. Uh, And we also reference the work of JB Marin and his group uh, a lot in this episode. So if you haven't checked that out, make sure you do. We also discuss some testing options and how we can objectify where an athlete uh, needs to spend his time and effort uh, and his development. So really interesting part two coming up with Hakan. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Kangatech. So born out of 10 years of research and development, Kangatech is the world's most advanced injury prevention platform. So most recently, Kangatech has released its KT360 testing and training platform, which consists of a portable and adaptable, easy to use fixed frame dynamometry system that allows accurate and reliable measurement of isolated neuromuscular strength, endurance and control. Advanced software analytics allow sport-specific athlete profiling to understand injury risk and guide prescription of appropriate intervention. Kangatech has developed over 35 isometric and eccentric testing and training protocols spanning across the whole body. With KT360, you can test one muscle group bilaterally, and that can be done in under 30 seconds with real-time biofeedback and immediate automated reporting designed to motivate the athlete and inform staff of outcomes instantaneously. To find out more about Kangatech, email how at kangatech.com, visit the website at kangatech.com, or check them out on Twitter at kanga underscore tech. This episode is also sponsored by Omega Wave, which is the only non-invasive, at-rest technology on the market that analyzes readiness to train via both brain and cardiac analysis. So using DC potential and HRV to understand your brain's energy level and autonomic nervous system balance allows you to use objective data on recovery and readiness that in turn helps you to truly individualize your training and thus optimize performance. 
Omega Wave also measures ECG from the V6 position, and this data can be used by the medical profession to check cardiac health on a frequent basis. The measurement only takes four minutes to perform and results are visualized in an intuitive way thanks to our windows of trainability concept. Omega Wave is used by hundreds of elite sport athletes, military and law enforcement agencies. They are also an official partner of the UFC Performance Institute. So to learn more about Omega Wave, visit their website, omegawave.com or visit their social media channels. So one thing I want to chat about next, Hakan, is resisted sprints. And I know there's a lot of work coming out of JB Marin, JB Marin's um, group on this recently, which is excellent. And obviously, you've put some um, some cool videos on as well. So I want to I want to touch on this. So in terms of resisted sprints, again, in that um, sprint environment, where would you start someone um, on resisted sprints, and why might you do that? Well, I think we, you know resistance sprint. If we, if we, we you know, I think it would be an excellent idea. <laughs> it was heavy, heavy ball players, you know, to to you know to work, uh, you know, developing horizontal force uh, ability, you know, in a safe way. But that's uh, you know, but uh, you know, resistance sprinting has been around for ages, you know, and uh, you know, hill running things like that, you know, has been been around for a long time, you know, but. Uh, in the in the last couple of years, we, you know, there have been some very interesting technology on the market. You know, we are using the Norwegian system called the DynaSpeed, and this the 1080 motion and so on. There's a lot of systems that you can program and do it, do it uh, a lot more accurate and 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 uh, more precise than 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 before. You know, but sprinting is, you know, it's. Uh, all about producing great force in the right direction and short time, like we like we, we we talked about. But it's also about rhythm and coordination and relaxation. And I find sometimes, and sprinters say too, that the sleds can be very disturbing, you know, because you're working with the friction, so they resist the forces. You know, get, it oscillates a lot when you're working with with sleds. That can be really disturbing, you know. So. Um, you know this new technique has been just been amazing because uh, you you because you have a you know like a constant pulling force that can be programmed you know and you you can work in different phases of of the acceleration phase you know with different loads and so we use it a lot extensively and I think this is going to be a big part of the of the future for for sprinting you know when when it comes to be, being more precise and work more specifically. Uh, more more important so than I think than plyometrics. Exactly. So, what was the technology that you said that you use? I know you mentioned the ten eighty sprint, but what was the technology that you use? We use we have been we have been using a Norwegian system called okay. Muscle Lab. You know, for they have all different kind of sensor. You know, and they've been. I was involved with that. We started experimenting with, with the resisted and assisted sprinting with motors already in the, in the late 80s, you know. But uh, it's in the latter years, you know, it's been developed further now. So we, now we can we can use these machines together with, you know, IMUs, EMGs. You can do it with contact grids and so on. So you get a lot of information in one go, you know. You don't have to have all different kind of, of systems. and. If what is interesting, what is good to know when you when you're doing resisted or assisted sprinting is, of course, 
you want more information on speed, I think. You know, you want to see what happens to stride length and frequency when you load them, uh, resist uh, sprinters or assist them, you know. So uh, especially, as they would say, with, with, uh, with assisted sprinting is crucial to know, you know, because it's very easy to pull people too hard and you re- you damage their me- mechanics, you know. And uh, in that sense, you know, that uh, it's, not a, it's, not a, it's not good. That was my next question. How much damage can you do to, to technique based on using resistance sprints? I mean, the resistance sprints, uh, uh, you know, I think it's e- actually easy to damage, uh, you know, with the assisted sprint. If you pull, if you pull people too, okay. too hard, they start breaking, you know. So you can really, but it, with, when it comes to resistance sprinting, I think it's pretty safe. But you, you have to, you know, what, what I, how I see it, you know, that, if we use pretty heavy resistance, you know, if I if I program the the system to to resist with about thirty percent of body weight, with equivalent to about sixty percent of body weight with a sled, a little bit depending on the friction, of course, the maximum velocity you will achieve of a sprinter that has maximum ability of eleven meter per second is roughly around you know, by maybe four five meter per second, which is equivalent to his first or second stride. So with the heavy sled, it's like tra- training those first couple of strides, for, but for an extended... Uh, yeah, yeah understand. Yeah. You get the same speed, and you produce almost the same force for, uh, for, for an extended time. You know? So you get more specific. You can work without heavy sled being specific for the first couple of strides. And then with the, with the lighter resistance, you can go on, uh, you know, working on different phases of, of the acceleration curve. So it's a very good tool like that. And you, you can work your th- th- yourself through the whole acceleration phase in a training period. You start with a heavy resistance, with an initial acceleration, and you end up in a training program with developing, you know, your capability, you know, at the, at the latter part of the acceleration. Mm-hmm. So that would be with resisted sprints. So how would you program assisted sprints? Well, we we usually use assisted sprinting when it when it comes into you know preparation the latter part of the preparation period. And I I we usually we usually mix. You know, you can do a maybe a resisted sprint. You can do a assisted sprint, and you do an unloaded sprint. And uh, if you can control the stride length and the frequency of, of the assistance and com- compare that to, to the unloaded sprint, uh, it, it, it's, it, um, it, it's very valuable, actually. So to see that you are not only flying longer because you're pulling the athlete. Uh, so... Oh, it's like working, working. You, you know, the acceleration phase in, in, in sprinting is, you know, 50, 60 meters, you know, for the top sprint, even 70, 67 meters for bolt, you know. So sprint, you know, people say, is acceleration or, or top speed the most important thing? Well, of course, it's high correlation between top speed and finishing time, but you have to accelerate up to top speed. So I would say acceleration is... is, is it's very very connected to maximum velocity. You're not you're not jump from an airplane. You know you you have to accelerate yourself. Next, I'd like to have a little chat around um, probably more about the muscle lab as well and different percentages that we can use res- resisted sprints with. How would you how would you progress 
And what kind of loads are we talking about? When you say heavy resisted sprints, what kind of loads are we talking about? Well, you know, heavy resisted sprint, if you refer to, to you know, the literature, they're always referring to, to sleds, you know. And because, but, you know, if you talk about, a, you know, motor, you know, resisted, uh, you know, resisted sprint that, uh, uh, like a muscle lab or the 1080, you know, it's different. It's usually about half, you know. So the, the heaviest we go, the heaviest resistance we use is about 30% of, of body mass. And uh, that uh, that uh, s- slows them down extensively, you know. That's uh, that is or, or like uh, the the speed of the, the first step or so. And uh, so we, we when we you know we start the, the training the training you know we we doing fairly heavy resisted sprinting for a couple of weeks, you know, and then we eventually d- decrease the load, you know, during the training period. And we usually mix it too, you know, with, with super heavy, medium heavy, light weight, light heavy, but we emphasize uh, one side of it. And we all, always a combination with unloaded sprinting too. So the maximum you would go to is 30% of body weight? Yeah, yeah, about 30%. Or it would be equivalent to 60%. Ah, okay. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. I understand. So, and again, I refer to JB's group's work at the minute. But at that top at that top end, uh, like the thirty percent body weight on a muscle lab, or equivalent to sixty percent on a sled, and I may be ref- I may be repeating what I've already said in terms of um, altering mechanics. But does it alter mechanics at that heavy end? Well, it alters mechanics at the end if you try to 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 run with a reposition. Yeah. You know what I mean. But if you stay in the same position as you have in the first couple of strides, you don't alter mechanics. So you have to, you have to, you have to think about what you're doing. You know, you can't, you can't run thirty meters with 30 percent of resistance and expect the, the 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 body to race in the same way as you do with an unloaded sprint. You have to work in the low position, you know, to to because that's what we are that's what we are emphasizing. I understand. So how how would that differ when you're working with Team sport athletes, would you still fluctuate between the super heavy, heavy, medium, or would you, given their the demands of their sport, acceleration been more prevalent? Well, for them, I think you know the heavy resistance sprinting would be more considered strength work because if you take a footballer, he's never going to start from a low position as a sprinter. You know, they usually take the sprints from an upright position. And they have to accelerate a lot more with hip extension rather than knee, knee extension, like a sprinter is trying to do in, in, in initial acceleration. But you know, you can still use the heavy sleds, you know, but I think it's more for strength. But in a in a game situation, you usually take a sprint. A football player takes a sprint out of an upright position or a, or a moving position, never from a you know from a from a low stand. So how would you try to? not mimic that but make that um a little bit more i hate the word i hate using the word sport specific but something that they're going to be more likely to face during their sporting environment well if you if you think about if you if you think about sled you know resisted sprinting as being strength training for them maybe you know you know for people that can't do any jumping you know it's a safe way of, of working you know working uh, even if the resistance is high 
and the and the and the speed is low, you know, the the speed is still much higher than anything you can do in the gym. You know? Okay. So, yeah. Yep, yeah, I understand. Sounds great. So, one last thing that I want to chat to you around is the analysis that is preyed on the in the first instance when when sprinting. So the testing options. I know you've mentioned about doing less testing than you than you have done previously, but how do coaches kind of figure out where they need to spend their time and effort in terms of the the sprint as a whole and looking at different aspects of technique? Um, what what testing options have we got? I know I've mentioned the muscle lab there. Um, is there anything else that we can do as coaches to to figure out where best to spend our time and effort? I think timing. <laughs> You know, every 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 you know coach more or less times sprints. You know that you know to make sure that intensity is where you where you want it to be. And you know, hand timing fine. You know, but if you can use electronic timing, uh, it, it can help. You know, it puts a, another another edge on, on on the on the training, of course, and it's much easier to to monitor. You know, so so I think you know electronic timing is a good investment. You know, but. Uh, in terms of muscle lab, it came a long way. When we started using muscle lab, it was just a rotor encoder. We used to, you know, measure the the bar velocity in the early nineties, and we used the contact mat, you know, to measure jump height. And but it come a, come a long way. And the last thing we, you know, we, we explore now in the, in the lat cover race, and I think my group has been a great help for this company. We, we're using IMUs now that can detect, uh, you know, contact and uh, Touchdown and toe off, so we can cal- calculate fre- stride stride frequency and con- contact contact time and flight time. And if you can measure speed, and we can do it with dyna speed, we can do it with a laser camera, we can do it with photocell. We also have this the stride stride length, you know, and the contact length, and uh, that that is the. Uh, Fantastic information, especially like I said before, if you're doing uh, assisted sprinting, you know, to see what happened to to stride kinematics when you when you're pulling people, or or even to follow. And it's going to be fantastic to follow athletes' careers, you know, from when they are young sprinter, what is happening, you know, to the to the stride kinematics, you know, from when they're younger, running eleven seconds to when they finish around ten zero, you know, it's a it's going to be, a good, be. I think it's going to be very, very, very good information. So, what what IMUs are you using for for contact time during sprinting? Well, it's, an, it's a small IMU, sixteen G uh, IMU uh, can can be sampled up to uh, one thousand hertz, and it's as as a it weighs just a couple of grams. It's wireless. You put it on the on the on the on the lace of the shoe, and uh, you know by a very very clever algorithm we, you know the company's been able to detect you know a lot of you know especially contact when touchdown and toe off you know it's an amazing amazing job actually so is that a swedish company it's a norwegian company norwegian company okay yeah. very it's been around the early 90s this is an old company it's called ergotest it's a company and muscle up is the product but they have a whole range they have medical medical equipment and sport equipment so they have a a great range of different kind of equipment. Okay, and where, where do where do force plates come into it into testing and training, or do they for you? Yeah, yeah, they have force plates too, and we we've been using for I think that's another thing that is uh, should be highlighted. And you've done a good job with your podcast, you know, having some interesting guys there. You know, 
jumping is fine, you know, like if you take a counter movement jump, you know, or take a drop jump, but if you can do it on a, on a force blade, you get so much more information, you know. You can see how people are producing a force in an eccentric phase and you see how they're producing force in a concentric phase. You know, yes, the jump height is not enough, you know, you can see it's, it's great, you know, especially, I think, when it comes to return to play, you know. Uh, you know, the physio can say, okay, he's ready now to go out and sprint. And it's usually uh, you know, very subjectively. But now you can you, you can measure fairly easy, you know, that, uh, you know, pre, pre-injury, pre-operation and, and post-operation and see, see what's going on in terms of pre, pre, being able to produce force in different ways. Do you use any of that from a prescription point of view for where you spend your time? Well, not yet. I just use it, you know, when, you know, we, you know, I, I, when it comes to, to drop jumps and when it comes to, to, you know, the current moment jumps and so on, I, I replace, you know, the, the, the contact grids now with force plates, you know, because I, I feel I get more, more information from that. Okay. Have you got any, have you got any interesting projects coming up, Hakan, that we, you can potentially share with us? What you're investigating, how you're using IMUs further, whatever it may be? Yeah, we, we're actually having a meeting today with the uh, Linnea University in, in Växjö. I, I presently work at something called a High Performance Center in Växjö. Uh, it's an amazing place, actually, where, you know, we consult uh, athletes and culture from, you know, any sport you can imagine. And we have a good lab that I... I'm responsible for, you know, so we, we're going to, we, we, we're going to hopefully going to do some, some more research when it comes to, to this new IMU technology, you know, and, and, and you know, astral kinematics that I find is, is super interesting. And we have, we have such a big crops of, of different athletes here too, that we, I think we're going to be able to do some, some interesting projects. Excellent. Well, I said I'd keep it to the hour. So thank you very much for your time, Hakan. Really do appreciate it. But where's the best place for people to, to get in touch, to chat about any of this stuff or see more of your work? Uh, where, where's the best place? I'm on Twitter, Sprint Coach, uh, SWE, or Instagram, Sprint Coach. So they can find me there. Excellent. What's SWE? Yeah, Sweden. Like Sweden, Sprint of course, yeah. of course. Jeez, what a bad question. Right, thank you very much, Hakan. Really do appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your experience and, and wisdom with us. So thank you very much. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks, Hakan. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to episode 272 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So a big thanks to Hakan for coming on and sharing his wisdom and experience from Sweden. Also, big thanks to Hawking Dynamics, iMeasureU, Kangatech, and Omega Wave for sponsoring this episode today. So I hope you had a fantastic Christmas and you've got something nice planned for New Year. And I look forward to bringing you some top quality guests in 2020. And thank you again for all your support. I will chat to you next year.